you want to follow along, we're in Romans 4, we'll probably start a little earlier than 18, more like 13, I think. But, uh, you know, you look through all the Gospels, talk uh, and give us accounts of the resurrection, all from a little bit different angle. Uh, and you, when we do something like uh, a production like last night, you kind of try to weave all those in together. But when you look at what it really means, you don't really get that until you get to what we call the epistles, the letters, these teachings. And, and we're in, in Romans, which was written by Paul to the Roman Christians probably in the early 50s A.D. to kind of s- help us understand what difference does it make. You know, you come uh, to Easter morning, and like I said at the welcome, you know, it's, it's fun to be with family and uh, all the things we get to do. But ultimately, what, what, what difference does it make when we leave here? What difference does it make in our lives? And that's what these letters try to help us. They're theological treaties kind of to help us. And a lot of times they'll go back to Old Testament and help us understand how the Old Covenant worked and then flow that into the New. And that's what's going on here in chapter 4 of Romans Uh, starting in verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And that you're going to see this word faith coming in. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in the faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So he uses Abraham to get to the resurrection. And that's what we see here. Abraham believed that he was going to be the father of many nations. And you can see in here, and why would he believe that? He was around 100 years old. Sarah was 90. This was not going to be something that would be normal. Uh, But the promise was there. So why did he believe? He believed the promise of God. That's the key here. Uh, Faith. Uh, It was not going to be a natural process. The birth of Isaac had a supernatural component to it. Isaac was born in a supernatural kind of way. That's what he, but Abraham believed before that even happened. He believed that God could be trusted to accomplish what he promised. That's the key here. He doesn't really get into a lot about what Abraham, if you want to read about that, you can go back to chapter 12 in Genesis and read through. But the idea of trusting in what God has promised. So now we go back into one of the Gospels and look up some of the things that Jesus promised. This was probably toward the end of his second year of ministry. Jesus 
takes his followers, his closest followers to him and says, and Jesus began to teach them, and the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. You know, when you look at this, it seems so pointed and easy because, you know, last night we did that. They seem so clueless, you know, and why did we have them seem so clueless in the production? Because they're clueless in the Gospels. Um, they just don't get it, but yet it seems so pointed. And I think a little bit, like I said at the welcome, you know, when you get bad news or you hear things, it's sometimes you hear one thing and you just don't really grab it. And Jesus has spoken a lot of parables. Um, and you wonder if they're thinking, well, this is some sort of parable. Uh, it's not presented as a parable. But this is something that Jesus promised. Uh, a number of times he promises his disciples that he will rise after his crucifixion on the third day. And obviously the resurrection isn't needed Unless he died, you know. Obviously, you don't need Easter if you don't have Good Friday. And I think that it was obviously going to be a supernatural event when it comes to the resurrection. Dying is not supernatural. I don't know if you knew that. If you get anything out of this, I hope that's not the only thing. Uh, I mean, think about it in some ways, and there's people who say this, you know, that Jesus could have planned a lot of this, right? I mean, even today, if you want to get flogged, I could pro we could probably find a place to get beat up, right? I don't even think you have to go to Omaha. We can probably get somebody to do it here. Um, probably go to Chiron, get beat up, say the wrong things, right? And getting killed, you can get killed. And I mean, I mean, if you want to know how, let me know. We can work it together. Um, so you could do that. You could kind of plan your own death. You could, you could get the flogging. It's the resurrection that's kind of hard to plan, right? That's the part that you couldn't do. Now, there's a lot of theories out there. If you, there's some good books out there. J. Warner Wallace wrote a good one. Um, different books, if you want to know, I've got them on my shelf. We can look through those. Of, of the different theories, you know, there's people who say that Jesus, I like this called the swoon theory. And I, uh, that's not a word we use, but you know, that Jesus just kind of looked like he was dead. Um, so he wasn't really dead, you know, and, and, and all these are, I suppose, are probably, but the, the, again, the account doesn't really allow that, you know, they, they stick one of the accounts, they stick the sword in, and, you know, no matter how swoony you are, you're going to jump, uh, he doesn't, um, and that's just what it's, it's given us, to, to believe this supernatural thing, and, and what happens, obviously, today is a lot of people say, well, supernatural things can't happen, and then, of course, they won't believe in the resurrection, and, and again, I can't change that. It's not really that logically hard, right? If God exists, if God was the one that created everything, created you, I don't think resurrection would be that hard for him. I mean, it's, it's something he could do. It really comes back to whether we believe his promises. So like the evidence God gave, gives to Abraham, and the evidence there is his word primarily, Jesus gives his disciples evidence to believe in him, the trustworthiness of his word. Can you believe what he said? Uh, eventually for them, and certainly for us, there, there's, there's great evidence for the resurrection. You know, we've got all these different accounts. You've got times in the 1 Corinthians 15, which we'll look at in a little bit. Uh, apparently it appeared to 500 different people. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've wondered this, but I do. Um, why did he come when he did? Why did he come, you know, almost 2,000 years ago? Um, to, to preach, you know, he was 
We'll come up on that. We think probably about 27 A.D. is when he started his ministry and probably the crucifixion, 30 A.D. We're not quite sure exactly, but from the evidence of the Gospels. You know, why not come now? Think if you put this sucker on TikTok. I mean, how many people would know? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, as I think about that, it, you know, I suppose you could fake it easier with special effects. I mean, even last night with that environmental projection, I kind of felt like I was in Jerusalem for a while, ancient Jerusalem, and then you feel like you're in the upper room. and You know, you, you, you look at that, you know, why did he come when he did? Why does he just give evidence of mainly his word? You can trust what I say. I mean, Jesus essentially does that with Abraham. God does that with Abraham. He does that with Isaac and Jacob. He does that with Moses. He does that with David. He eventually does it uh, as God incarnate with the disciples. So Abraham believed God's promises, and through his faith, that's what it says, that's what the key is here. Um, Abraham wasn't made righteous because he was a really good guy, and he probably was a good guy. I think Abraham would probably be a fun guy to go out to dinner with. Um, he was pretty rich, so he'd probably buy. It'd be cool. But it was through his faith, and we've, we've done this throughout uh, trying to come up with these active, or excuse me, these, uh, these current definitions, and we kind of change them. But faith, this is where we are now with faith. I think it's a good def biblical definition. An active, reasoned trust based on evidence and shown in obedience. That's kind of, we've kind of grabbed that, trying to hit everything. But it's evidence. You know, the question is, is it enough evidence for you? For anyone, when you tell somebody about Jesus, is this enough evidence? Some people think it's not. Uh, I remember Bertrand Russell, I don't know if he was a, one of the older atheists that's passed away now. Uh, somebody asked him, if you die and then all of a sudden you're in front of Yahweh and Jesus is there, what are you going to say? Because you don't believe. And he said, I'm going to say, you didn't give me enough evidence. And so it really comes down to really, you know, for each one of us is do we, are we saying God thinks he's given enough evidence, but we think some think that's not who you're going to rely on. You know, this is Romans 4. Romans 1 talks about, you know, you can look at the sky and see creation and you should know God exists. Now, there are people who are astronomers that are atheists. They look at the sky, they don't think he exists. Why? I don't know. Something in their heart, maybe. Romans 2 talks about our conscience, that each one of us created in the image of God have that moral conscience where we are image bearers and we make moral choices. God says that's enough for us to seek after Christ, and that's chapter 3 through 16 is all about following Jesus, including where we are now. So God thinks we have enough evidence. Jesus thinks we have enough evidence. It's really up to us if we agree. Uh, it really comes down to that, doesn't it? So God counted in this case, it's the faith of Abraham that counted him as righteous, upright, legally just, and blameless. That's what this is all about. I mean, I, you know, it, sometimes it sounds kind of cocky, and you got to be careful how you say this. Uh, if you walk out, and, you know, you go to your Easter meal, and uh, you say, hey, I'm blameless. It's like, yeah, I think I'll set at a different table. Yeah, you got a cocky one here, you know. I mean, that, it's not that we are blameless, it's that we're counted blameless. As far as when God looks at us and says, do you deserve 
to live with me forever and eternity as a holy God who's perfect? No, but I'm going to count you as blameless so you can. That's what the whole idea of faith and grace is. So legally just, blameless. So the old covenant through Abraham was based on God's grace through faith. It was not that Abraham was the best guy. In fact, even the Israelites, he didn't say, he says, I choose you because you're the most numerous or you're the most upright. I choose you because I loved you. Hmm, interesting. But verse 23 is such a good hinge verse. It was not written for his sake alone. This is for us too. First people, first century can hear in Romans, but also us, I think by extension, we can look at this and see it. So it really comes down to how do I get right with God? Isn't that, if you're really seeking, you start realizing that there's a problem. How do I get my sins forgiven, my moral crimes against God? How do I get reconciled to the Father and blameless before God? Because that's what Jesus and all his followers said we need. Well, you just like Abraham did. You know, you see this in Ephesians 2. It's a good memory verses to have. You were saved by grace through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And you look at those, I suppose a lot of you have seen that. I've seen this one a lot too. And it's interesting. You Sometimes I'll read this and I'm like, yeah, yeah, saved by grace through faith. Yeah, you know, when's the game on? Um, and there's other times it's like, wow. I'm saved by grace through faith. I don't deserve this. What's the difference? That's just something in our hearts, I guess, isn't it? There's sometimes when the scriptures hit us, I don't know if that happens to you, but I'll, sometimes I'll read a scripture I have read a thousand times. And whether it's the spirit working in our hearts or just where we are in our lives, we're like, wow, I never really saw it that way. Or it never really hit me quite that hard. And sometimes, you know, we come to Easter and we're like, you know, what are we, you know, when does the ham get served, right? How many of y'all having ham? You know, it's not kosher, right? Jesus did not have ham, but you can have ham if you want. He, he pronounced all foods clean, you know. So, but, but again, does this hit? It's like, that's the thing. God gives us the evidence. It's always there. Intellectually, the gospel makes all the sense in the world. Whether it really touches our hearts really comes to how, how, where we are and, and, and how that inner witness of the Spirit makes a difference. And that's kind of subjective for each one of us. But the objective evidence is there, which is really cool. It's kind of a, a neat thing when people say, well, there's not enough evidence to believe in Jesus. I say, well, that's really up to you. Um, I always wonder if, if, you know, if we walk out when you're building your snowman this afternoon and up in the sky it said, I exist, comma, God. Would that be enough? What would you think? If, or, or maybe an atheist, what would they think? Some nitwit Christian's up there with a plane, right? Trying to make me... There's always a way, isn't there? You think about last night, we had, the, we had the, a lot of the people and the disciples, they're trying to figure it out, and they're hanging in there with him. But then you got these leaders that are hearing the same words, and they want to kill him. I hope none of you want to kill him. It won't... It doesn't take, so don't try. Uh... You think about that. It's why? It's the same words. There's something different in their heart, something different that they're seeking. That's the faith part. That's the trust part. But faith in what? Or, or better put, who? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His word, his actions, mediated in the new covenant by Jesus. Jesus is 
he makes up. This is why they killed him. I don't know if you knew that. They didn't kill him because he was a nice guy. You know, sometimes we turn Jesus into Mr. Rogers. He was also a nice guy. But, you know, he puts on his sweater and wants to be your neighbor, you know. All you young people are like, I mean, just Google Mr. Rogers. Is he still alive? I don't want to kill him off if he's not. All right. Yeah. He stayed dead, though, right? Yeah. Jesus was different. I told you. But Jesus makes some interesting claims, and these are strong claims. Look at this in John 8. That is why I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. That's not ambiguous. I mean, you can think he's lying. That's up to you. Tell me it's, a, it's not a claim. This is a strong claim. Either you follow me or you're doomed. Same thing in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I know people who say, well, you know, maybe other people, and maybe they do. I don't know. God can make all that stuff up. All I know is what he said. He did not allow us to say that he was one of many ways. He didn't allow us to say, well, we can save ourselves. He didn't allow us to say we can work our way to heaven. It's just not in there. You can believe whatever you want, but the evidence doesn't show that. So Abraham was asked to trust God's promise of a son and a people called by God to trust and be the light to the nations. The new covenant in Christ asked people to trust in God's promise that Jesus conquered sin and death for all who trust in him. That's essentially the gospel. And his resurrection is the last of these lists of promises or predictions that he made. We saw that in, in Mark 8. You know, I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be raised on the third day. And just to help you with the third day, because Jesus died, we think around, given uh, Luke, who is a little more specific about things, right around 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. Uh, but if you remember, the way they count days in Jewish ways is sundown to sundown. And so 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock would be one day. And then Saturday, 6 o'clock to 6 o'clock, Saturday night. So Friday night to Saturday, that's two days. And so technically, and I'm not making this case, but he could have rose at 6.01 Saturday and still got the three-day thing going. And I've heard people say, well, I don't like that. It's like, well, I, I don't want to be too flippant, but I don't really care. Um, <laughs> it, you know, whatever you like, is, is it, it, that's the three days. He's related, and, and everybody understood that back then, the way they, they counted days. But again, could God have done it a different way? Have you ever think about that? Why the cross? Why the flogging? Could you have did the cross and not the flogging? Um, do you think it hurt? Or do you think it was like, well, this isn't really bothering me much because God's making it not hurt? I think, I think could you make a case maybe it was bearable? Um, I don't know. I think so. But I, obviously it had to be, it had to hurt a little bit more because of why he was doing it, right? You think about the, we had that line of you know, the two thieves. They're up there because they should be. Even one of them even says that. Um, and they probably weren't thieves. They were probably murderers, just to let you know. That, wor that word got translated in the King James Version kind of oddly. You remember Barabbas, who was an insurrection? They were probably with him. Uh, and Barabbas gets released. It was supposed to be, you know, murderer number one, Barabbas murderer number two, and Barabbas gets taken out, and Jesus goes in his place. That's probably what, what happened. 
But you think about these guys, you know, could it have happened a different way? Why the cross? Could Jesus have come and said, God just loves y'all? Or if he's from Texas, all y'all? And he just, and it, you, you're good, we're good, don't worry about it. But ever since you go back, even back to Abraham, remember chapter 22, don't really like that chapter. Remember what Abraham was asked to do? Remember this son he was promised? Take this son of yours, this only son who's promised, and bring him to this certain place and sacrifice him to me. That's a hard text, isn't it? I'll just give you a quick little summary of what I think is going on there. First of all, he doesn't just go in his backyard and do it. He goes to a particular mountain. Second of all, in that culture, some of the Canaanite religions were actually sacrificing kids as part of their worship. And it's almost, I can almost see Abraham saying, well, I thought you were different. But he trusts God. Now we find out in Hebrews, and this is really helpful, that Abraham believed that even if he killed Isaac, that God would bring him back. We don't get that in Genesis. We do get in Hebrews, which is also inspired. So that helps, right? But he goes a, a ways north to this mountain, and that's where he does this. You know what mountain that is? It's Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah becomes the place where the temple is. And what happens in the Old Covenant at the temple? Sacrifices to have. You know, it kind of fits a little bit. Now, it's still kind of tough, isn't it? I always wonder that. What if that was asked by me? I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. And as far as we know, it happened once. And, you know, the angel stayed his hand and all that stuff. But, but again, this, why the cross? Well, you, you see it throughout all of the Old Covenant. you got all these sacrifices. you got the Passover, which is what the meal was, as we did last night. You know, he reinstitutes the Passover. We talked about that on Monday, Thursday. The Passover lamb, you, you slaughter the lamb, you take the blood, you put it over the doorpost, and the angel of death, the last plague, would pass over. And what was cool about that, it wasn't just the Israelites, the Egyptians could do it too, and it would pass over them. Father of many nations. You see that kind of come in there. It's for everybody, the blood. And then you get Jesus, you know, this cup is forgiveness in my blood. It starts to make sense. It's like, could God have done it a different I suppose, but there's something about the cross, isn't there? There's something about the cross that gives us pause. Greater love has no one to give up his life for his friends. It's the perfect sacrifice of the perfect lamb in a perfect way to show us perfectly God's love so that we can know he really cared for us. And in all that grace, justice is done too. You know, I say this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it's almost like God knew what he was doing. That's, I think, why the cross. And Paul here in Romans is appearing to making that same case for the resurrection. The cross was important, but of a real bodily resurrection. That's what he wants. He wants the bodily resurrection. It's not a spiritual resurrection. I don't even know what that is. I mean, you could fake a spiritual resurrection, right? It's not that hard. I mean, just think of somebody who's dead. Don't, this is not supposed to be Halloween-y, but, you know. Could you say, well, I, I saw him yesterday. How do you know? Well, you just can't see it. I mean, the, the spiritual resurrection could be fakes, and that's out there. It's like, well, he didn't really rise. You know, it's just a metaphor. It's like, this is no metaphor. I mean, what did he say? He said, take, you know, take my hands. He ate with them. You know, put your, put your hand in my side, Thomas. I'm really here. I'm not a spirit. I'm really here. I really rose bodily. 
And that's good for us, too, because the next promise for us is that He's going to come back again and we get transformed. Read 1 Corinthians 15. That is your assignment. I can't grade it. But that's the resurrection chapter. And in there, we get the importance of the resurrection. In verses 17 through 90, the beginning, we get that account of Him appearing to Peter and James and 500. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, that's the people who have died, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's how important the resurrection is. If he didn't really rise, none of the rest matters because Jesus' word can't be trusted because he thought he was going to be raised. If he wasn't, then how do we know his crucifixion is sufficient for our sins? How do we know that any of his teachings are useful? I mean, this guy thought he was God. Well, maybe he's wrong. If the resurrection, everything's hinged on that. If, if, if somebody wants to essentially obliterate Christianity, find the body of Jesus, and then you've done it. Because it's bodily resurrection. It's in our statement of faith. It should be. It's a heck of a claim, isn't it? Kind of hard to believe a little bit, but boy, if it's true, this is really cool. What power, what, what grace, what promise. Because if Jesus said he was going to be flogged, handed over, well, you'd do the other way, wouldn't it? Handed over, flogged, killed, and then resurrected, and he was wrong on one of those, 75% accuracy in predicted promises makes you a false prophet. What if I told you, read the Bible, and I guarantee you three quarters of that sucker's right? What would you logically ask? What 25% can't I rely on? And what if I said to you, you know, I'm going to be a good friend to you, and, you know, three days out of four, I'm going to actually do what I say. Uh, you know, one day I probably won't. Will you trust me? Depends on what day it is, isn't it? Could you tell me if this is the good day or the bad day? You know, Paul implies here what God has already said. A true prophet is always 100% accurate on his promised predictions. And it's out there, I don't know quite, and maybe some good people, I mean, maybe they could explain it to me better, but it's out there where there's sometimes people get prophecies today and they're, sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. And I'm like, I don't know, that just seems useless to me. It's like, it's like weatherman, you know? It's just not, you know, you can't count on it. I just, I don't like that. <laughs> well, again, Deuteronomy 18 says that's the test of a true prophet. Is he right? If he's not right, then he's not true. And if he's not true, I wouldn't trust him. Look elsewhere. So as we get to verse 24, the hinge point becomes the resurrection. Is this true or is this not? And that's why Easter is such a pivotal time, because if the resurrection is true, the crucifixion is really what he said it was, and all his teachings and who he was, we can count on. If it's not, we're in trouble. This is a good Easter analogy. If you're going to follow him, if you're going to trust in his word, you know, put all your eggs in the Jesus basket. <laughs> because if he's wrong, I'm in trouble and so are you. But I don't think he's wrong. And I don't think that's just outside evidence. I think there's something subjective as we talked about, something about it. I mean, we want to give good evidence for our belief. We want to know the word. We want to know what Jesus said. But sometimes you can just look at somebody and say, I just know it's true. And they could say, I think it's wrong and I know it too. Well, that, then it's just subjective, but I can go back to the evidence. God never asks us to believe in fairy tales. He asks us to believe in truth. 
And it really wouldn't be that hard for God who created the world to resurrect his own son. So Paul's not saying here that a mere intellectual agreement that the resurrection happened in some way saves you. It's like, yeah, that sounds good. You know, you know give me, put me in the not go to hell ledger and give me my get out of hell free card and then I'll be fine. Um, no. I mean, you think of his own disciples, you know. I want you to go and be obedient to me. I want you to love me by showing your obedience. I want you to treat people like I ask you to treat. And then when you mess up, that's what the cross was about, and there's always grace. You know, where's your heart? So what Paul is saying that the Jesus resurrection is the final promise of God to be trusted and to be counted as righteous before God. If he really was resurrected, then it gives us proof that all of the rest of his promises are true. If he wasn't, as Paul said, we are to be pitied. It's not worth it. You know, go home. And I'll just go back being an actuary and probably kind of a dreary one because not much hope anymore. <laughs> you know. But Easter gives us so much hope, so much joy as we sing these songs, you know. So we are justified by the resurrection of Jesus, as he says in verse 20, if we understand it properly. We're counted as just and blameless before a holy God because we trust him and his word. That's faith, just like Abraham did. And also like Abraham, true trust or faith in God will show itself in our motives and our actions. And this is the one at the end, shown in our obedience. And well, what do I mean by that? Well, John the Baptist asked people to repent, and he was a, you know, a forerunner of Jesus. And this, I like the way he put it. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. It's the old idea of if, uh, if there was a court that was trying to convict you of Christianity, would you be convicted? Or do you look just like anybody else? Because yeah. atheists can be good people, right? I mean, they can do good things. But what is it in our life that changes? We, we, we try to be as gracious as he is to other people. We forgive people when they are repentant. We try to look at people through the eyes of Christ and not through worldly eyes. Jesus put it best in Luke. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If you're not going to do what I say, don't call me Lord. Well, and then again, be careful with these, right? They're just verses. Be careful. to say, Well, I messed up. Well, that's what the cross is for. It's your motive. It's like... You know, how do I know that I'm saved? That's a good question, isn't it? Do you feel guilty when you sin? That's one thing. Do you know what to do with it? Do you know what to do with the guilt? Rely on the grace. Do you want to honor God? Yeah, but, but pastor, I mess up. It's like, yeah, join the crowd. But you know that's not the goal, right? <laughs> you know, don't get into that baloney that's like, well, we're all sinners. So it's like, that's not the goal. He didn't die on a cross so we could just mess everything up. He died on a cross so we could be reconciled to him and start living a life worthy of the calling. And when we mess up, that's what the cross is for. But how does our love show? If you love me, keep my commandments. I love that. It's such a good verse. Because remember, faith is an active reason trust. Does it look like I believe? And here's a great prayer, because it happens to me just like you. There's times I don't want to not sin, and there's times I want to do something I know it's not. Well, what do I do? Well, help me, it's in the Lord's Prayer, you know, lead me not in temptation. Help me not be tempted by that, or at least give in to it. But even more, pray, God, help me want to do what you want me to do. Give me the desire to 
not sin. The desire to actually look like Jesus. Because some days we don't have it, right? Even though we know we're supposed to have it, it's hard. It's hard in this fallen world. So, as we see here, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. That's what we celebrated. I guess we can say that. You celebrate the cross, don't you? Kind of? It's, it's kind of an odd celebration. But wait, without that, nothing really matters. The resurrection would not happen. There was no vindication. His death takes away the sin of those who trust him. And I, as I read that, sometimes that just sits there, doesn't it? It's like, oh, yeah, Jesus died for our sins, you know, past the potatoes. I mean, I, I know I'm the same way, but there are those times when it really hits, isn't it? It's just, I don't know, maybe it's when we're in, just in tune with him or maybe we're going through bad times and we realize, wow, this is a pretty good promise that he just delivered up for our trespass. If you, if you were there last night, and I think, I think Aaron put this on, there, somebody got a good picture of, the, of that kind of purplish red hue cross with Jesus coming off it, having died. There's just something about that. My gosh. You know, greater love has no one to give up his life for his friends. You know, that's the, that picture. It just hits. It's just the cross is the perfect illustration of what love is. You know, you all know John 3.16, or hopefully you do, you know, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's kind of the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? But First John 3.16, which is the first letter of John, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus gave up his life for us and we should do that for other believers. You know, that whole idea, this is how we see what true love is. And, and in my opinion, I think obviously the Gospels kind of put that, the cross was the perfect illustration of what love and grace really look like. But he was raised for our justification, meaning the assurance that Jesus' death and all his teachings are true and effective. That's why the resurrection is so important. That's why they hit it so hard. And they got in trouble for that in the first century. They thought, these people believe this dead guy came back to life. That does sound kind of weird, doesn't it? Doesn't happen that often. I don't know if you noticed. And even in... It's, it's different than those times. We, we have three times in the Gospels when Jesus uh, raises somebody from the dead. you got that boy in the town of Nain during the funeral. That would have been an interesting funeral, wouldn't it? Uh, you got Jairus' daughter who they tell, teacher, you don't need to come because she's passed away, and he raises her. And then, of course, the one we remember from John 11 is Lazarus. I always think, you know, what an interesting thing. Lazarus is risen from the dead. People hear about it. And the leaders of the Jewish Judean group want to kill him. <laughs> Wonder if it would have took the second time. No, I don't know. They didn't, as far as we know. But without having him raised, we can't ultimately trust Jesus for our salvation or anything else. So that's why the New Testament is, gives so much evidence for Jesus' resurrection. The Gospels have all these accounts in them. And why we proclaim and celebrate its truth today and why it's so important for billions of Christians to gather for this. The risen Jesus proves that he can be trusted as our Savior and our Lord. And that those who trust him are no longer under God's wrath as an enemy, but we're like Abraham was promised part of the family. And we can call God Father. What a privilege. This is what this day 
is all about. And even more so, the last promise is I will come back again and make everything right. And you can read Revelation 21. I won't make that an assignment, but it is, it's extra credit. A new heaven and a new earth. No sin, no dying, no crying, no pain. Resurrected bodies like Jesus. Being able to spend time with him and each other without the suffering of a fallen world. That's a pretty good promise. And we can even believe in that one too. But at the end of this, this is the end of chapter 4, and we're going to end with the very first verse of chapter 5, which kind of summarizes this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I hope for each of you today, that you have peace with Him in the midst of all the turmoil and everything that happens in your life. If you've got that main foundational peace because of your faith, because of His grace, everything else ultimately will fall into place in its time. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this perfect plan, uh, your perfect son, a perfect sacrifice showing perfect love through perfect grace. We know our faith isn't perfect, uh, but you tell us we don't need perfect faith because the perfection comes in Christ. May we remember that this Easter. May we even if we don't completely understand how this all works, may we just grab onto the resurrection knowing because of that we can trust in your promises. Being in your word, thank you for giving us what we need always. We pray in Jesus' name.